right, all right, all right. We are starting a new series today I'm really excited for because one thing I love more than anything is helping people get to know this great God of ours. And there's no better way to know what he's like than to know uh, who he is than to know it through his names. Now, we have all heard that poem that parents like to tell their children. This is an old poem. It goes something like this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me or names will never hurt me. How many of you know that the psychology field has made a killing over that lie? It is a lie. How many of you, by show of hands, can say a word or a name has hurt me? Absolutely, right? There, there have been criticisms. People have said things about us and has hurt us. And, and I just don't know why we, we don't wrap our minds around this reality when we try to tell our kids this thing, this, this lie, right? Because Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. In other words, if you like to talk, if you don't really consider what flows out of your mouth, you don't have control over your mouth, you're going to reap the consequences of the words you say. And if they are words of life, you're going to have fruit of life. If it's words of death, you're going to reap what? Fruits of death. You're going to have the consequences of those fruits. And, and so I think the question, why would a parent tell their child a statement like that when it's not true? Well, it's because any parent doesn't like to see their kids discouraged or their feelings hurt, right? right? You, you feel for them. You're like, man, I, what can I say? What can I do to encourage them? And so we, we've created like this statement to try to encourage them. But how many of you know when you believe something that contradicts the word of God, it opens you up for pain? It just opens you up for pain. There are power in the words that we say. And more importantly, there is significance in the names that we call each other. Now, the Bible was really written in two languages. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. And they had their own words that we translate into English or try to translate into English. But the word name in English in the Old Testament that we've translated comes from a word that means an idea or a sign. So in the Old Testament, if you're reading it in the Hebrew language, when you see the word name, it, that word really means a distinctive mark, a sign, or an idea. If we fast forward to the New Testament in the, in the Greek language, the word that we get the word name in the Greek language, it means to know or it indicates how a person, place, or thing is to be known. It inferences the whole essence of the character or the essence that that being represents. And so the word name isn't just a label in the Bible. It represents something a little bit deeper. Now, um, in, in the Old Testament, often children were named at birth. And the name that they received at birth closely connected to either the circumstances happening in the world at that time or in the nation or what's going on or something specific that, that was going on with the child at the time. And probably the, the greatest example of this is in the Old Testament, there are these famous twin brothers named Jacob and Esau. And Jacob and Esau, they were, they were twins. They were born at the same time. And Esau was born first. And he got the name Esau because he was born covered with red hair. And the word Esau, the name Esau means hairy. That's what it means. And so when his parents saw him, the first thing they thought of, it's like, dang, that boy's hairy. 
And so he was known as Harry his entire life. How would you like that name? Jacob, he was born a few seconds later, but he was born grasping the heel of his brother Esau. And so when they saw Jacob, they named him Jacob because the name Jacob means heel grabber. That's what it means. And, and so whenever you're looking at these names, they're, they're not just titles we're giving people. They represent something. And, and this kind of reminds me of, a, of a when our first baby girl was born. Uh, my wife is so funny. She had kind of this fear that our kids were going to be born and that they'd be ugly. She just, she just was so afraid that we were going to give birth to ugly kids. And I don't know if she just was looking at me too much or what was, uh, what was the deal. But, but when Jocelyn was born, the first words out of her mouth was, she's not ugly at all. She's so beautiful. Right? So if we had named our kids like they did in the Old Testament, Jocelyn, who is beautiful, could be called beautiful. But not long after that moment, we're in our room and, and uh, we're, we're getting situated. The nurse is in there teaching us how to do new parent things because no new parent knows what they're doing. And, and, and so they're in there helping us do new parent things. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I hear the loudest sound I've ever heard in my entire life. And it freaked me out. It's like, boom! And I was like, looking around, I was like, what was that? And, and I even said that. I was like, to the nurse, I was like, what was that? And she's like, she pooped. And the first thing, I looked at my wife, and I was like, what, what in the world? And she's like, one me. And, and the nurse was like, no, the baby pooped. And I'm like, first I was like, that's my girl. You know, all right. You, you know, but then the second thing the nurse said was, it's time to change the first diaper. And I'm like, I ain't changing that thing. No way. Not after that. Not after that. No way. But if we named our kids like they did in the Old Testament, Jocelyn could have been called Bazooka Butt. You know, because of this whole thing, right? And I'm so glad, and I'm sure she's glad, that we didn't follow the biblical precedent. But names often represented circumstances and situations that happened back in the, the time of life, the things that were going on in the world. And, um, you know, some parents are actually cruel when they name their kids. How many of you remember when COVID came out? These twins were born, and uh, this, this, these parents actually named their kids Corona and COVID. You guys remember that? It was all over the news. There was like the first, the first babies of 2020 or whatever were, were twins, and they named their kids COVID and Corona. I mean, like, come on. Like, you've got to really think about this. Sometimes parents can be cruel. But names represent something. And names can also have prophetic meaning. What do I mean by that? Is some of the names in the Old Testament that you read actually represent something that God has spoken over the life of that individual. So we read one of the most famous stories in the Old Testament is Noah and the ark. Well, we know what happened with Noah. The world was completely wicked. God needed to start over, so he saves Noah and his family, and he restarts the population with this family. And the name Noah actually means one who will bring relief and comfort. So from the time Noah was born, he had this prophetic declaration over his life that, that God was going to use him to bring relief and comfort. The name Jesus, our Lord and Savior, Jesus actually means salvation. So Jesus, from the time he was born, his, uh, proclaimed over his life is that he would be God's salvation. So not only do words have power, but names have power. And names can also have influence in our lives because they generate feelings and emotions in our lives. Think, think about this. The moment I say these two names, if I say mom 
and dad, instantly you're reacting. Instantly. And, and you might think, well, I mean, I don't really feel like I'm reacting, but here's how it works. If you had a close relationship with your mom and dad, instantly you're feeling warm and fuzzy feelings in, in your spirit. It brings pleasurable feelings, man. I, and you can start thinking of, man, those moments you had with mom or those moments you had with dad that you'll never forget, and it just it ministers to you. But if you had a distant relationship with your parents or maybe an abusive relationship with your parents, the moment you hear the names mom and dad, it conjures up other feelings. It becomes to uh, do something in you, drawing up those hard feelings. Why? Because words and names have power. They have the power to influence us, which is why being called a derogatory name or being criticized hurts so much. Shatters a positive paradigms and shifts from a positive view of yourself to a negative view of yourself. And likewise, positive words can do the same thing. It can shift from a negative view of yourself to a positive view of yourself. So names are important. Why? Because names label us. And often what defines our name and how our name influences and affects other people is the character and the reputation, our own behavior and our own actions attached to our name. That's why Proverbs 22.1 says this, A good name is to be chosen rather than riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. Think about that. Better than anything you could pursue in this life, better than all the wealth in the world, is a good name. Why? Because if you don't have a good name, you really don't have anything at all. Without a good name, people won't trust you. Without a good name, you can't develop close friendships. Without a good name, it will actually work against everything that you would want in your life. And so what's good is riches if you have no one to share it with. And this principle is why in the ancient times, the ancient Jews, even to this day, they don't say God's name. They, they don't speak God's name. They fear that saying God's name would bring about blasphemy because when you speak somebody's name, you're not just saying the word, you're actually calling upon the entire essence or being of the person. So to declare God's name would to be to call on God, if that makes sense. And a great example of this, to see the importance of even God's name, is found in Exodus 23, 21, where God says something really peculiar. This is a time where the nation of Israel has come out of the Red Sea. They're now in the wilderness. God's leading them through the desert to the promised land. And God says, sends an angel to lead the people. And God tells Moses to tell the people something about this angel. In Exodus 23, verse 21, here's what he says. Pay careful attention to him, that's the angel, and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression. For my what? For my name is in him so not just that he carries my name or or he has the same name as me but my name is in him so what god is saying is that this angel is carrying my essence this angel is carrying my presence my being is in this angel and this in the bible is the only angel that's ever been said to have the very presence of god in him and if you think about the significance of who this is, this angel also has the ability to forgive sins. So who forgives sins? Do angels forgive sin? No. Who forgives sins? Jesus or God, right? So what we have here is we have the one who represents God, the one who 
is the presence of God for the people, the one leading, who is bearing the name of God, who is speaking for God for the people, who's the very word of God to the people. And we know in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. So what we're seeing here in Exodus, as God is leading the people with his angel, we're seeing Jesus as the good shepherd, as the angel who's leading his people, even back in the Old Testament. And how do we know? It's because the name of the Lord is in the angel. He is one with them. So the name, again, is significant. And God's name is significant because it's his essence, his being. And so the ancient Jews, they don't even say the name of the Lord. They, they set the name of the Lord apart. They call it holy, and they don't even utter it. So what they do is they replace the name with another name. Instead of saying God's name, they will refer to God as Hashem. Somebody say Hashem. Bless you. But it's called Hashem. And what does Hashem mean? It means the name. So they don't say the name of God. They refer to God as the name. Why? Because his name is holy, and his name is significant. And so they set it apart. And so in your Bible, when you're reading, and you read the word God, or you read the name Lord, what you're often reading is a word in place of God's actual name, or the name that's being used for God in that moment, carrying around that same idea that God's name is holy. God's name is to be revered. But one of the things I believe is that it's significant that we look at God's name. Why? Because God's names reveal who he is. And the more we understand God by knowing his names, the more we will revere him, the more we will appreciate him, the more we will trust him, and the more we will know his heart for us. And I believe it will even help us know how to pray. Because there are going to be times in your life where you're going to go through circumstances and you're not going to know what to pray. And by knowing God's name, you'll know the aspect, the character, the nature of God that applies to your life in that moment. You'll be able to call on God by his name, and it will increase your faith, and it'll help you stay faithful even when times are uncertain. And a promise that we have of the Lord is that God will never let his good name become tattered or tarnished on his own account. God is never going to do anything that nullifies what his name is. Look at 1 Samuel 12, 22. It says, For the Lord will not forsake his people for his what? For his great name's sake, because it pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. So what's the prophet saying? He's saying that God chose you to be his people and to keep from his reputation being torn by forsaking you. God promised to never forsake you. So God's not going to go back on what he promised because that would tarnish his reputation. In Psalm 23, this is a more famous passage of Scripture. It says, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for what? For his name's sake. So when the Bible says God will never tempt you, God will never trick you, God will never lead you astray. Why? Because of his good name. He leads you on paths of righteousness because he is righteous. God will lead you out of temptation, but he will not lead you into temptation. And how do we know it? It's because of who he is. So the Lord will protect his reputation by protecting his name. And how does he do it? By always doing what he says every time he says he will do it. And today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the first name of God introduced in the Bible. But it's really grouped together with a couple other names. So we're going to look at the nuances of, of those as well. But I believe this is going to be an encouragement to you and for some of you that are really struggling this morning. We're going to look in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning. And I want you to read this verse with me. It should be on the screen. Let's read it together. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us here. We thank you for your word. God, I thank you that your word never returns void. God, I thank you that you're always faithful. God, I thank you that you will always hold up your name in highest regard. And today we call upon the name above all names, the name of Jesus. We ask you, Lord, to fill this place with your presence, that as your word is declared, you'd speak to our hearts. God, you'd give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a mind that understands, and a heart ready to receive everything you have for us. And may the name of the Lord be praised. May the name of the Lord be exalted. And may your name be proclaimed over us, God, as you minister to us today. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So in the beginning, God, and as you know, that word God doesn't mean God. It's not, that's not what it was in the original Hebrew. It was another word. We use God in replace of it. The original word here is the word Elohim. Somebody say Elohim. Elohim. Now, Elohim is the plural version of the name, which is the name El. Somebody say El. So you have El in singular tense. You have Elohim in the plural. And so El was a common name for God in the ancient world. There were actually were a lot of gods referred to as El. You could actually substitute that for um, any god in the ancient world, really, as you're referring to gods in general. So much like we do when we write the name God, we use a capital G for the God. We use a lowercase g for other gods. This name can be interchanged in a similar way. And so the common name for God or gods in the ancient world was El. Matter of fact, El in the Canaanite uh, pantheon was the creator God, the father of all gods and humans, and he was the head of the pantheon. So here in Genesis 1.1, again, we don't just have El, but we have the plural form Elohim, which is the same way. Elohim can be used to refer to God alone, or it can be referred to all the other divine beings that that have been created that exist in the heavenly realm. We can see this uh, very easily in Psalm 82, verse 1. In Psalm 82, this is what it says. It says, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. So the psalmist here is writing. Now, in English, you just see the word God. But if you were to look at the original language in the Hebrew, God there is Elohim. So Elohim has taken his place in the divine council or the council or assembly of El. So the assembly of the gods, Elohim has taken his place. In the midst of the Elohim or the gods, he holds judgment. So in this one verse, you get to see the separation. You see that every supernatural being that exists, they are Elohim. But there is only one Elohim. Does that make sense? So there is the Elohim with a bunch of other Elohim. That's the framework or the mindset in the, in the ancient world. In Isaiah 43, 10 through 11, God says this through the prophet. He says, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me. So God is saying, I'm telling you this so that you will know and believe me. This is an invitation to relationship. He says that you would understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. So what God is saying is saying in Genesis 1-1, when you read in the beginning, Elohim created, he's saying, look, that's me. There's no beginning without me. I am God. I am Elohim, 
and everything you see, everything you interact with, everything you believe, it is a result of my power, my will, my creative force. And there will be no other gods after me. I am the only one there ever was, and I will be the only one that ever will be. And that's why in the ancient world, these other lesser beings, they weren't always referred to as Elohim, but they were referred to by another title, which was the sons of God, or the Benai Elim, which means the sons of God or the sons of the mighty. So these, these other beings in the, in the ancient world were Elohim, but they were not the Elohim. And what you begin to see throughout history as they are, you're looking at these names is they begin to add modifiers to the name to help to clarify who you're talking about. As an example, I know a lot of Chris's. We have several Chris's that attend our church. And if you were to come up to me and you were to say, hey, did you hear what Chris did the other day? Instantly, the Chris I'm going to think of is probably the one I have the closest relationship to because that's where my mind's going to go, even though I know a lot of Chris's. Well, how do you know which Chris you're talking about? Well, you add a modifier. You give him a last name. So if you were to say, hey, did you hear what Chris Moyer did? Then I know specifically who you're talking to. I, if you don't use the modifier, then I'm going to think in general. I'm going to kind of put two and two together. The same began to happen in the ancient world because, again, you could refer to any god in any nation as El or Elohim. And I think they just got tired of, you know, people coming up to them and saying, hey, you know, do you believe in El? And the response would be, well, who the El are you talking about? <laughs> you know? Or, or if some supernatural being shows up and says, I'm God, and you'd respond, well, who the L are you? You know, it's like, you know, you're just trying to figure it out, you know, because there are a lot of L's running around. But in, uh, in Genesis, God appears to a man named Abraham, and he appears to him, and he gives him a modifier. God gives himself a last name so that Abraham would know who he's talking about. And we see this in Genesis 17, verse 1. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Somebody say God Almighty. I am God Almighty. He says, walk before me and be blameless. So God doesn't just say I'm El or I'm Elohim. He says, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. I am El Shaddai. So that Abraham would know who he's dealing with. So this is how people knew God in the ancient world. Matter of fact, this is the only way we knew that it was the God we're talking about all the way into the time of Moses. Exodus chapter 6, verse 3, the Lord says, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, or El Shaddai, but by name of the Lord I did not make known um, to them, or make myself known to them. So God is saying that when I showed up from Genesis all the way into the time of Moses, anytime God showed up, he showed up to them as El Shaddai, God Almighty. And that name Almighty simply means the most powerful, omnipotent, having unlimited power, able to do anything. I am God Almighty. In the book of Job, Job's friend in Job 11:7, he asks a question rightly so. He says, can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? And the answer is no. God is all-powerful. He is almighty. How mighty is he? He has all the might. He is almighty. And God created everything. He spoke it into existence. He created the laws of physics. 
He created everything with the power of a word. Why? Because words have power. And on the lips of the Almighty, they can accomplish anything. God Almighty. And he didn't just create everything. He also sustains everything. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, speaking of Jesus, he says he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he does what? He upholds the universe by the word of his power. So God didn't just speak it into existence with a word. He's holding it all together. Why, do, why does the laws of physics function now? It's because Jesus wants it to. Well, why do we see the sunrise and the sunset? It's because Jesus wants it to. God Almighty is holding it all together. There is an old song that we used to teach kids in Sunday school that says, My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. He made the trees, he made the seas, and he made the elephants too. Why? Because my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. God is so powerful. He is all-powerful. In Deuteronomy 33, 27, it says, The eternal God is your refuge, and he has everlasting arms under you. He drives out the enemy before you, and he cries out, Destroy them. God is not only all-powerful, he never gets tired. He never wearies. He never loses strength. How, how many of you know we get tired? We get weary. We lose strength. When we're in spiritual battles, we're in physical battles, it's not long before we tire out. When I was a younger, we were, we were early married. I was working at um, O'Reilly Auto Parts in the warehouse in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, and um, w my friends and I, we, just, we were really starting to get into the ultimate fighting championship at UFC. And we talk about who's fighting and who's on the pay-per-view and, and all this stuff. And, and we talk about who's training in martial arts. And then one day we got this brilliant, dumb idea that we would start a backyard boxing ring. And, uh, and so I would go over to uh, our coworker's house and we'd spray paint a square in the grass and we would size each other up and we would box. And we were like, well, they can, they can go for five minutes around. We can go for five minutes around. And so the, we would ding the bell or do whatever we were gonna do. And within 30 seconds, we're all gassed out. You know, it's, it's pretty amazing the athleticism that these professional athletes have. And we were fooling ourselves. But we grow weary. We get tired easily. We want to quit when we're in the fight. But Deuteronomy says that God has everlasting arms. He doesn't get tired. And when we want to quit, when we want to give up in the fight, he's still urging us on, go out there and destroy them. Go get the enemy. Why? Because God doesn't stop. God doesn't quit. God doesn't give up. And we, we have a struggle with trusting Anyone else with our safety, anyone else with our well-being. We, we struggle with you know, letting other people be in control of our situation. Why? Because we want to control a safe and an emotionally secure life. That's one of the reasons why we struggle, why we have so much anxiety in this life. Because we want to control to make sure we're safe and emotionally secure. And what life has a tendency to remind us is that we're not in control in the least bit. That's why we have so much anxiety and so much worry. We have this struggle with trusting anyone else with our well-being. We even struggle with trusting God with our well-being. And I believe it's because we really don't believe that he can take care of us, or if he can, that he will take care of us. And what the name El Shaddai reminds us is that there's no one greater. There's no one stronger. And there's nothing too hard for God. 
There's nothing too complicated. There's nothing too far gone. There's nothing too late, too much, or too little. What seems impossible to us is more than possible to God. There's nothing too hard for him. If you think about the stories of the Old Testament, Noah didn't think that the world could get any better. It was just going to continue to descend into chaos. And El Shaddai cleansed it and made it new again. Abraham thought he was too old to have a son, but El Shaddai gave him a son in his old age. The wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah thought they could do whatever they want and get away with it, but El Shaddai leveled them to the ground. Joseph thought he was stuck in prison and would never get out, but El Shaddai elevated him to second in command in the nation of uh, Egypt. Moses didn't know how the people were going to get out of slavery, but El Shaddai split the seas, took them across on dry ground, gave them water from the rock, manna from heaven, sustained them in the wilderness, overthrew giants, and brought them safely into the promised land, just as he said he would. The same God that spoke light into existence has made a promise to each and every one of us by his very own name, El Shaddai. And we can read it in Psalm 91, 1 and 2 that says, Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find what? Will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust in him. There's a promise to find rest and shelter under the wings of of the Almighty. Now here in the psalmist also gives us another name that's connected to El Shaddai. It's the name that's translated as the Most High. In the Hebrew, it is the name El Elyon, which if we're thinking about military and the chain of command, you're where you work your way up with officers. You go with sergeants, lieutenants, and you know commanders and generals, and then ultimately you get to the President of the United States. Here, El Elyon means the top position the highest order, the uppermost. So not only do you have El Shaddai, the most powerful, but you also have the one who is highest above all. He is the greatest. That means there is no one greater to appeal to than God Almighty. There is no one else you can appeal to greater than El Elyon. He is the most high, he is the best, and he is the most powerful. And what's amazing is that he's for you. He's for you. To live in the shelter of the Most High is to live a faithful life of obedience to his will and his word. A life of obedience to the Lord puts you in the shelter of his wings, puts you under his protection of his promises. And even when life throws us a curveball and the enemy gets us distracted and we stray away and we kind of leave the protective barrier of his, of his shelter, what does he do? He leads us back on paths of righteousness for his name sake because where he wants you is under the shelter of his wings that's his will that's what he desires and under his wings the enemy won't touch you because the enemy can't touch you so the problem we have with our faith is not how big our problems are really it's with how small we believe our God is you know when kids are small they're in a crowded area, and somebody makes them a little nervous, getting a little too close, where do they go? They go right behind mom or dad. Right behind them. They might peek out a little bit, but they go right behind them. Why did they do that? Because in that moment, what they believe is not only can mom or dad keep them safe, 
is that they will keep them safe. That might not even be the case, right? The, that person might be dangerous, they might be more powerful, they might be stronger, they might be able to overthrow their parents, but in the mind of the kids, there's no one bigger than dad, there's no one stronger than mom, they'll keep me safe. If we read in Psalm 91 that God's will for us, El Shaddai, El Elyon, is for us to be in the shelter of his wings, we have to understand, we have to know that not only is God capable of protecting us, but he wills our protection. Psalm 91 is a spiritual warfare passage. It goes on to say that he'll not only defend you from pestilence and the arrow and the lion, but though thousands fall at your side, no harm will come to you. It means God is protecting you and he will shield you from the enemy. And when you're behind the legs of El Shaddai, again, the enemy can't touch you. So what's the call? Well, it's the call not to run from the Lord, but to run to him. And when you're in it, when you're really deep in it, when life feels overwhelming, you feel like you're drowning, call out to the Lord and use his name, El Shaddai. Almighty God, El Elyon, the most high God. And remind yourself that when you can't, he still can. When you're weak, he doesn't get tired. When you're ready to give up, he's still urging you on. I want to leave you with one final verse, and we're going to go into a time of response and invite our prophetic team up in just a moment. But I want to encourage you to memorize this verse this week. And don't just memorize the words, but let it sink into your heart. We'll grapple with what the writer of Ephesians, what Paul is trying to communicate here in Ephesians 3.20. No matter what you're going through, praying for, or contending for, the word of God says, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Read this with me. Ephesians 3.20. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. God is almighty. He can do everything. But he has put something in you through his name if you're a believer in Christ, you wear the name of the Lord. His essence is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you, and his name is in you. And through the power at work in you, God will do more than you can ask or think. What's that mean? That means even when you don't know what to pray, God's got it covered. And even when you think you know what to pray, God's already ahead of you. And he's already working out better than what you could pray for yourself. God Almighty is with you. He's for you. And he's ready to do great things in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this moment. I thank you, God, that you are El Shaddai. You are El Elyon. There is none greater. There is none stronger. The enemy might want to raise his throne above the stars of God. He might want to impersonate you. But we know that there's no one greater than you. There is no one stronger than you. And, and at any moment, the plans and schemes of the enemy will fail. You've promised in your word that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that you will silence every one who accuses us and has come against us. It is a declaration that you have held and given by your own name, and we just trust in that today, God. And I just pray for those who are struggling, who have got 
literal spiritual warfare happening in their homes, in their relationships right now. God, that we'd be reminded that you are almighty and that you are the most high and there's nothing the enemy can throw at us that can prosper. There's nothing that he can do to, to tear us down when we're under the shelter of your wings. So God, forgive us where we've wandered and strayed. And God, we just ask you to bring us back under that place of protection, Lord, as we trust in you with all of our heart. We don't depend on our own understanding. God, I just thank you that, that breakthrough power is available, that you, what you put in us through the Holy Spirit, God, will enable us to break through into that victory, God, that we are more than conquerors because of what Christ has done on the cross. As the music begins to play and as we go into the time of response, God, I just pray for anyone here that doesn't have a relationship with you, that doesn't know you as their personal Savior. God, maybe they've gone through some really hardships. Maybe earlier when we said the names mom and dad, they're just stuff that happened at home that has just wounded them. So to think of you like a father, God, it's just hard for them to, to trust. God, I just pray today that you'd renew their mind, you'd renew their heart, that you're not just father, you are God Almighty. You are El Shaddai. You are more powerful than any circumstance that they've gone through. You are greater than any trial or struggle that they will come to in their lives, God, and they can trust you with all their heart. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you know that God's been calling to you, God's been speaking to you, 